mejor, mejor que nadie más. Atraparlos mi prueba es, entrenarlos mi ideal. All right, so welcome to episode two of Mon Men. I am Yanata Blue with... And I'm Michael Darling. And we're here to talk Pokemon once again, because so, that's what we do on this show. So for episode two, we'll be going through the next nine Pokemon. That's Pokemon 10 through 18 in the Pokedex. Uh, the Caterpie, Weedle, and Pidgey families. Yeah. And right up front, I'm going to say that, uh, first off, we've got a new segment for this week that we'll be premiering. But then for our consistent segment, Mon Appetit, at the end, <laughs> we're going to say out front a little bit of a teaser new challenge this week because two of the families we're discussing of the three are bug pokemon this week we have to eat two pokemon from different families that's uh, i think that's a fair challenge you make it sound like fear factor yeah it's this is this is the fear factor episode folks this is where we go dark <laughs> <laughs> all right so this week as we said caterpie weedle and pidgey and their various evolutions these are what i like to call high school boyfriend pokemon they are the ones that, you know, you meet them early on, they teach you a few things, you eventually dump them for something far more interesting, but you have fond memories of them, I think. I would even go so far as to say that they might even be the middle school boyfriend Pokemon, because you have you absolutely know that you're not going to grow up with this person. <laughs> you know for a fact <laughs> that you're going to dump them by the time you really reach high school. But, you know, maybe you stick it out with them and really do some exploration into what you can evolve into with them. <laughs> Maybe you go a little bit further than a lot of other people went with their middle school boyfriends and you get all the way up to a Butterfree. I mean, well, let's just start there. The <laughs> interesting thing about the Caterpie line is that they very much are there to teach you, same with the Weedle line, about evolution. Because Caterpie evolves into Metapod at level 7 and Butterfree at level 10. Same with Weedle, level 7, to 11, uh, level seven into Kakuna and level 10 into Beedrill. So, yeah, I don't think it is that long a trip to get to a Butterfree. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you're also, deal well, you're also dealing with the fact that, you know, you're trying to game the system a little bit. If I can go back to the Pokemon games a little bit. I remember, um, you know, trying to find workarounds because you could catch a wild Metapod. You could catch a wild Caterpie. You could not catch a wild Butterfree. Correct. So you had to work your way up. And the game almost seemed to say... Hey, listen. I know you might think you're working, you're doing a workaround by catching a wild Metapod, but mm -hmm. wild Metapod only knew Harden, whereas a Caterpie that evolved oh, yeah. could take tackle with it into yes. the evolution. So you could have a fighting Metapod that was a little bit more useful. Mm -hmm. Just barely, barely. Just barely. Bit. So Caterpie, which is just pure bug type, mm -hmm. uh, you first encounter this guy. Interestingly. If you're playing Pokemon Blue, you'll see it on Route 2. Otherwise, you'll just see it all over Viridian Forest and then a bunch of other routes throughout Kanto. And then, obviously, in other places throughout the other games, but we're just looking at where we first encountered this Pokemon. Oh, yeah. And right around the place where you're encountering it is one of those uh, amazing things that's just a trope of the Pokemon games is that you have these trainers that are so dedicated to a single type of Pokemon, the Bug Catcher Boy. Yes. Who is just has just got a team of Weedle and Caterpie. He's ready to poison the shit out of you. And he thinks that he's got a winning team against your Charmander. Or, in your case, darling, against your Pikachu. Yeah. So, what, sidebar, what is your favorite one of the single-type NPC trainers? Like the Bug Catcher or the, like, Karate Guys? You know, I've got to say it was the Swimmers. It was oh, always the, the Swimmers. swimmers. 
And I mean, you know, because I feel like water Pokemon, like as much as you're dedicated to a single type, water is a pretty viable type, especially with like the dual types that they have. Like, you know, you have your dugongs and your uh, and everything like that. So, and then every once in a while they would have there would be one with a Gyarados or something like that. So I feel like there was a little bit more challenge there, even if water is an easy type to overcome. Yeah. Um, right. So one thing to start with the Caterpie family, you know. My whole shtick in this podcast, I've talked with Darling about this, is, you know, again, real-world equivalencies. And I don't know what the real-world equivalency is for a Caterpie. I mean, yes, it is based on a Caterpillar. I know that. But where do you find a one-foot-long Caterpillar in this world? Because that is... So we're going... So we kind of overlooked this in the first episode, but, you know, Caterpie is listed in the Pokedex and Weedle as a one-foot-long bug. That is about the size of your forearm. That is terrifying. Uh, it's funny because some of these Pokemon, when you were 11, they seemed so much bigger, but then this one actually was. Yeah. The scale of Pokemon, especially even in the show, is so weird because, you know, to kind of double back and cover the ground that we missed in the last episode, Charizard is listed in the Pokedex as being around 5'10", 5'11", I think. It's about, an, it's about the size of an average grown male, like... That's not as honking huge as it is in the show. In the show, it towers over Ash. Yeah. All Charizard do. And Caterpie is, you know, this bug that's about the size of Pikachu, which makes... Which, in the show, you just kind of figure that's just to make it more noticeable, because why would you have, like, a little mm-hmm. caterpillar on his shoulder that you can barely <laughs> see? But no, it's canon. But no, it is canon. That is the one time they get the scale right. Um Caterpie, like it's just a, it's really terrifying when you put it into perspective. <laughs> and then adding into the Pokedex, uh, the fact that I was looking up the size, Caterpie has the ability to emit a terrible odor as yeah, a defense from mechanism. its little horns. Yeah, I didn't even know those were horns. They're kind of stumpy. I mean, I call them horns. I don't know what you'd actually call them. Antenna, I guess. Um, I believe Pro- Professor Oak in his incomplete Pokedex calls them uh, antennae. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's kind of funny to me, and this might be a, ru- a bit of a running thing where we kind of point out that the Pokedex will call out certain things or abilities that Pokemon have that mm. don't manifest themselves in moves or special abilities. Like, that stink bomb move that the Caterpie has, it doesn't affect any of its actual move sets or abilities. Yeah. Like, which is weird, and I mean, you know... Because it doesn't have any poison moves. No. It's all, like, normal, and then eventually, I think it gets Bug Bite in Gen 4. Exactly. And then, but whereas Weedle, on the other hand, is like a straight-up poison bug Mm. from the get-go throughout its evolutionary stages. Oh, yeah. Um, This is an interesting one also because, you know, the Caterpie is a very friendly design. It's all circles and round, friendly shapes combined. (laughs) Whereas the Weedle is the same deal but it just seems so much more threatening like do you not do you get that same sense oh yeah just no it's of the like, spike yeah it's all the spike the two spikes because it's got a tail spike as oh well. yeah that's right yeah um i'm trying to think there's like to go in a completely different nintendo franchise you remember playing wario land for the game boy back in the day yeah, yeah yeah so there were the two enemies the goom which was your standard goomba kind of whatever and then there was the spear goom which was a goomba that's holding well a goom that's holding spears and so I view it as those two. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing comparison. And you know, I think um, I think the design between the two. I guess we're kind of like going through this one with like the two bugs in in pairing. Yeah, I think well, that's I think the counterparts. Like, I think that's a, I think that's a mandatory thing. Well, as I was saying about where you find the Caterpie, like you find it on Route Two in Blue, but in Red version, that's where you find Weedle. 
-hmm. So one of them is exclusive to that route, and then both of them are found in Viridian Forest. Hmm. Or rather, it's exclusive to that route in each of the two red and blue games, and then you find them both just wandering around Viridian Forest. Interesting. I didn't know about that dichotomy for Route 2 between the games, because I know they're in both games. Yeah. Like, they're both in both games. Though... The Weedle line, not in yellow, because Ash got attacked by a swarm of Beedrills. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. All so the Team Rocket Pokemon aren't in yellow. Interesting. Yeah, so there's we'll, no... We'll so get to no... that eventually at some point on the show. Yeah, these, yeah. Are, these are mere episodes away, people. So previews for, uh, for more show discussions. We're going to mm -hmm. get to more show-relevant Pokemon um, in a bit. But I think uh, if we're going to touch on the show, Caterpie is, yeah. a, is another major uh, feature in the show. Um, and we'll get, and this will lead us into Butterfree eventually, but first episode, Ash just completely defying all logic with Pokemon types and having a Caterpie defeat a Pidgeotto. That's because Ash is simultaneously the stupidest Pokemon trainer and also the luckiest. Yeah. Um, and also just the most lovable loser because that battle comes all down to heart and Caterpie using its string shot and then immediately evolving into a Metapod. Yes. Which, doesn't he try to throw Metapod into a battle in the next I, episode? Yes, <laughs> I've made a note of this. There is, as I put in the notes, Ash, worst battle ever. Because there's a battle that is literally Metapod versus Metapod, and they both use Harden. And they sit and there. And just Harden. Yeah. And they sit there, like, actually commanding Harden as if that's doing anything to win the battle. The battle is broken up by a swarm of Beedrills. Yep. So, so going into their uh, secondary stages. So Metapod... Somehow, even despite the spikes, like Metapod somehow looks friendlier than Kakuna. Oh, and I yeah. Wonder, yeah, and I wonder if that's just a matter of like the sinister-looking eye slits on the Kakuna. Hmm. Well, Kakuna is very Art Deco, I think, as a Pokemon. Oh my god, that, I love that take. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've always kind of liked it. It's always got like those weird jutting angles and everything. You can totally see it on the side of a building in Gotham City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you probably think of it like be hanging in the Batcave, and Batman's just got it on call if he needs to go take out like one of his villains that's scared of bugs or something like that. <laughs> Which um, one would that be? Um, I'm gonna go with Calendar Man. Okay. I just think Calendar Man's generally afraid of everything, though. So that's not him. that's not me saying Calendar Man is particularly afraid of bugs. It's just me thinking that Calendar Man's a general coward. <laughs> Although Mr. Freeze would have a type advantage, I think. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot. Of, well, I mean, bugs are pretty susceptible to a lot of weaknesses. What are bugs strong against? Is the uh, psychics. Huh. Like oh, yeah, psychic. Right. The fun thing about psychic, and by fun I mean just like from a going against it point of view is that it's weak against phobias, so it's psychic. Well, psychic is weak against dark bugs, and there's one other, and now I'm completely blanking. But I will look it up and get back to you, and... Well, my it's... thought with the Caterpie thing, or at least the bug-type advantage, was going to be that it's the hive mentality, that bugs don't ha aren't supposed to have their own mind, maybe, mm -hmm. or an overly simplistic mind that can't be manipulated by psychic advantage. So hmm. that, was my, that was my thinking in terms of when you said that was the advantage. Um, but again, we're talking, to go back to the old days of Pokemon, you know, Red and Blue, you're, either, you're not going to fight uh, Sabrina's Kadabra with a Caterpie, because even with the type advantage, it's still going to get stomped on. Oh, yeah. Ghosts. Um, That's the other one. Ghosts. So Bugs, Ghosts, and the Dark. Yeah, so that Good. makes it. So, yeah, I could see that phobia thing where, where you're... Where, psychic ability gets undermined by fear. Yeah. But back to Sabrina, like, yeah, that fight is 
That is the worst. There are a lot of problems with Gen 1, I will admit, straight off the gate. Uh, one of them is that fight, and that Psychic is extremely overpowered. Mm -hmm. There's only, like, two good moves that you can use as a bug, well, four bug-type moves. Uh, one of which is Twin Needle, which is a move that only belongs in Gen 1 to Beedrill, who is part Poison, which is weak to Psychic. <laughs> so that's completely undone. And Pin Missile, which is only learned by Beedrill and Jolteon, who is not a, who does not get that same type attack bonus. Yeah, and the only, so, and the only, uh, the only Pokemon with any kind of a uh, favorable advantage is Butterfree. Pinsir too. Pinsir doesn't have that poison typing. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, but well, he's a he's a bug flying type, correct? Uh, I think the Mega is flying, but the just straight up regular original recipe Pinsir is just straight bug. And right we'll now, we'll find out more when we get to Pinsir in right episode five hundred or whatever. I don't know. I'm gonna promise the listeners here that we're going to print out that like confusing as heck spreadsheet with all the type advantages oh, comparisons yeah. <laughs> and just have that for reference so we're not like hypothesizing as much. Darling is more of the expert than I am in terms of the type advantages, but uh, there we go. He has it already up on his phone. Yep. Bless his heart. Um, so progressing to now the last two bug evolutions, uh, Drill and Butterfree. Oh, I just wanted to say something funny about Metapod. Oh, go for In it. all of its Pokedex, I praise, it mentions how it's like hard as iron or hard as steel, but then it'll also say that it'll basically leak if it falls or if there's a strong enough impact. Yeah. And it's like, I've you always gotta, You gotta pick a lane. Yeah, I've always maintained that the Pokedex entries are written by these 11-year-olds that Professor Oak sends out. And he's just like, Oh, yeah, go uh, go look at Pokemon. Tell me what you think about them. And they're like, this one's made of ghosts. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure that, like, you know, some stupid 11-year-old kid said, wow, this thing's much harder than, you know, my Caterpie was. <laughs> and then they proceeded to throw it into a battle like Ash did. <laughs> and when it busted open and their half-formed Catter Butterfree leaked out, that's the horror that ensued. I... You know, that also leads me to believe that if they're aware of the fact that the half-formed Pokemon could leak out, that this happened to some trainer, that their Metapod got broken open, and they were, like, Caterpie, Brother-free, like, fetus thing, like, spilled out on onto the Earth as I'm a picturing horror. Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. God, yeah, it's, uh, that's exactly perfect. <laughs> Jeff, Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum at the end of the second act of The Fly. I'm not even picturing, like, fully-formed Jeff Goldblum. I'm picturing, like... <laughs> The Jeff Goldblum that still thinks he's cool. <laughs> Poor Gina Davis, by the way. Um, what type would Jeff Goldblum be? Um, let's see. He'd be a psychic bug. Are there any psychic bugs? Oh, there must be. I'll... I feel like that would be OP. That would be true OP even in the new type system with the expansions. Yeah, with the dark and steel and... <laughs> There's my hound doom again. If you're hearing that, uh, if you're hearing all that noise there, by the way, yeah, with the dark and seal and fairy. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. Psychic bug. I feel like there must be, but I can't recall off the top of my head. There are 808 monsters, so so we will get to that. Let's put a pin in this one here, just like uh, you know we're putting a pin in. Are there any other Pokemon that are war criminals like Charizard? <laughs> um, oh, I mean Voltorbs. There must be. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Voltorbs. Ugh, I, I. I yeah, hate to hazard the guess, but I'm get the feeling Goldorbs would be a favorite of terrorists. Oh, very much so. Um, so Butterfree, the opposite of terrorism. Yeah, just an adorable super... bug and flying type. 
Yeah, it's funny to me that they create such a stern dichotomy of the two bug types, where one is just this spiky, badass villain of a bug type, <laughs> and the other one is this, you know, round, bubbly thing. So here's a question I had for you, because I, uh, I wanted to hear your take on it. Shiny Butterfree, what color are they? Oh, well, they're like... I saw this yesterday. They're like greenish-purple things. Although in the show, there was that pink Butterfree that showed up, and yeah. seduced, she was a homewrecker. She stole that Butterfree away from Ash. Yeah, I was, um, I was wondering about that because, you know, I feel like in a lot of cases they do try to create those, like, easy ties to the show. So I figured Shiny Butterfree must be pink. And I mean, that's just the cutest goddamn thing. Mm. There was a running thing on the show in addition to Ash. Like, you know, there were certain running themes where Ash would give up his Pokemon super easily that he caught because he was such a good little boy. It's true. That, like, the moment he came across, like, a herd of Butterfree, he said goodbye to Gutter Butterfree. The moment he came across the little Charizard colony, he even gave up Charizard to go train with the Charizard clan. Um, hmm. But, you know... He came back, I think, so... Yeah, Charizard would come back from time to time to help Ash out in certain, in certain like, big moments, like Pokemon League and stuff like that. Hmm. Ash gave his Tauros to, uh, to Professor Oak. Didn't he catch, like, 20 Tauros in the Safari Zone? Like, he was that kid. I never saw that episode. Like, I feel like that episode might have been one of the ones that they didn't air later in syndication. Hmm. Oh, actually, no, I know why. So in the Safari Zone episode, I think they only aired it in America once because in the episode, the guy who runs the Safari Zone points a gun at oh, Ash yes. at one point. Yes, yeah. So I missed that episode when it first aired, and then they never aired it again. So when it came to the Pokemon League and Professor Oak was telling him about his herd of Tauros, <laughs> I had no idea what the <laughs> fuck was going on. So yeah, so Ash just, you know, aces at giving up Pokemon. Yeah. And I feel like there, there were others. I mean, he said goodbye to his Bulbasaur at one point, I think. He let the Squirtle go back to the Squirtle squad yeah, eventually, well, too. The Squirtle um, is a badass, so that's yeah. that's a scrap off for him, I think. Yeah, and I mean, the other, and I mean, for each region that he goes to, kind of synonymous with the games themselves, which is why I'm surprised that they never did a Pokemon Yellow equivalent in future generations of the Game Boy game. He does in the second generation get the Chikorita, Cyndaquil. Um, yeah, I think he always gets combo. the always... starter trio, and then like they evolve at some like some of them evolve, some don't. They wind up leaving him, or mm -hmm. he abandons them. Yeah, because it's kind of Mega Man syndrome, where whenever they start the new adventure, he has to go back down to his starting power. Yeah, which is. Which does raise an interesting question about the uh, that I think it was the Orange League in those islands. Oh yeah. Like the, the kind of bridge that they created because they didn't have gold and silver out yet. Yeah, so he didn't get any starters from that, obviously, because there is no corresponding game to that particular league. But even with all the expansions in Pokemon, I don't think we've ever been able to go to the Orange Islands. No. no. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that that ends up being in a universe that is so intent on giving us that escapism to kind of mirror Ash's journey. We've never gotten that Orange Island escape, but we've gotten away from Butterfree a little bit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so back to Butterfree. You know, it's it, going back to, I think you mentioned this when we were talking about uh, poke, real Pokemon evolutions that, uh, that design, the oh, Bulbasaur the, uh, design. Oh, yeah, the half-formed or whatever it is. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll find it and, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the fact that, um, the fact that, you know, in these three, these, uh, these two bug families, we have Pokemon that actually evolve. Yeah. In, re in very synonymous to real world ways. Yeah, they create cocoons. And we'll see a couple more cocoons in later generations. Yeah. 
uh, like the Wormpole line is fascinating in that regard in Gen 3. Yeah, and then also the fact that their cocoon is not the Pokemon themselves, like we kind of touched on this. The Pokemon is inside the cocoon just like a caterpillar is inside the cocoon in the real world. Yeah. Like, so it's a very unique evolution, but I mean, we're going to see some other Pokemon that have you know, questions about that. Like, you know, I just made, I made the joke, but I mean, there's a Caterpie inside that Metapod <laughs> shell. Um, there are going to be other Pokemon with certain evolutions, you know, when we get to Slowking, we're going to have a discussion about, oh, that's gonna about that Slowking quote unquote evolution. <laughs> um, you know, how much of that is due to the external factor. And then, you know, there's also that question with Cubone and the skull. Oh God, let's there's, not even go there right now. We're yeah. going to be spending an hour on that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be an interesting discussion about does it become a Kangaskhan baby if you take that? Well, yeah, because that is what the fan theory prevails. But uh, well, speaking of fan theories, I'm just going to tease this for later. There is a theory that maybe Butterfree wasn't supposed to be the Caterpie evolution. It was supposed to be the evolution of a different Pokemon huh. that we'll see later in this very same generation. Well, something to look forward to, folks. All right. Uh, I think well, we've on the of... note though about the cocoon evolutions here. It is interesting because I remember in the anime, uh, Metapod cracks basically, and out comes Butterfree, leaving yes. the shell behind. So that is an interesting evolution where, like every other Pokemon that evolves, flash of light yeah. and the form just changes. So this is. An interesting aberration of sorts that, mm -hmm. like, it's so close to the real-world equivalency yeah. um, of larval states for insects. Um, and I wonder why they kind of veered away from that. I mean, there is a fan theory about <laughs> Ash, and I think this is a fan theory that exists in just about every TV show movie that Ash is actually in a coma. And this is the reason why he doesn't age, and the fact that the journey just gets more and more crazy as time goes along, is the fact that he's actually in a coma, never having started his Pokemon journey. We're seeing the result of a kid who knows nothing about actual <laughs> fauna, but just having seen pictures of them, because, let's face it, he's an idiot. And, you know, at first, he, he at least has the knowledge that, like, yeah, when... A Caterpie comes out of its cocoon, it literally comes out of its cocoon as a butterfly. But then he doesn't understand other speciation aging, so to him, a cub just becomes a big Ursaring <laughs> in a flash of light. There's no transition there. He doesn't have a concept for what's in between. So going off of this, so Jesse and James, I assume, are his doctors, and if they were able to successfully get the Pikachu, he'd be able to come out of the coma? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Um, I um, I mean, there are different th prevailing theories as to when this coma begins. Some people think it's when he suffers the lightning blast from Pikachu that stops all of the uh, Spiro and Firo that are chasing him in that one episode. Um, but my, uh, but you know, there, that this, like, I could even make this argument for Batman. The argument is is that Bruce Wayne has actually been in a psychiatric institute since he was a child and witnessed his parents' murder. And um, that all of the villains that he's seeing are different people working in the hmm. psychiatric hospital. There's a whole Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode that posits that. Yeah, so there you go. This is not a new take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to bring up my other love in this episode, which is Batman. So I'm basically a man living his dream. Hmm. You know, we haven't talked about Beedrill as much because obviously Butterfree is just so cute and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on Beedrill? That you Beedrill is a terror. So, first, just let's go back to Weedle for one second. Okay. Going to the little baby form of this monster. Uh, and I use that term quite literally. 
so Weedle is Bug Poison, which is a common uh, type that we'll see, but it's the first time, so it's a nice like archetypal beginning here. Uh, and a couple of interesting things I found on Bulbapedia about it. One, have you heard of the Stentotorceps weedlii? It's a species of wasp, and both weedle and this species exhibit the distinctive feature of having a spine in the middle of the organism's head. So this is a species that was specifically named after weedle. It's a type of wasp. So again, real-world equivalencies exist. Yeah. yeah, I would not have guessed that beedrill was based on wasps. Yeah, well, this was named <laughs> after the fact. Like, someone saw this wasp and thought, hey, kind of like that Pokemon, let's name it after Weedle. So Bulbasaur is not the only one. No. We've I'm, got a couple more, I think. So we're going to have, like, a little bit of, like, a Pokemon real-world inspiration Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like, not, like I, not my directional, where... The Pokemon are based on the real world, but where the real world gets affected by this exactly imaginary world. <laughs> uh, second, it eats its own weight and leaves, according to the Pokedex. Which, considering we've talked about how it's a foot long, it's a foot long. It's yeah. a big boy. I can't imagine like Viridian Forest is big and dark, and somehow Weedles live there and just eat, just eat their weight and leaves. That's yeah. like clearing most of a tree in a single day. Yeah. So these things end up being major pests and I gotta wonder like you know looking for real world equivalencies I mean, it's only seven pounds but that's a lot of leaves oh yeah that's seven pounds of leaves is a lot of leaves um that's you know but I gotta wonder is there a Pokemon equivalent of a termite um because we have these Pokemon that are equivalent to caterpillars and that both of these Pokemon are eating leaves and foliage mm. but do we have a Pokemon that is a pest that eats that will eat the wood out of your home or is that a weedle there must be. There must be. I'm blanking right now, but there must be, like, a cockroach termite kind of deal. Yep. So join us on this journey as we look for the Pokemon where there is an actual profession that you either call a Pokemon trainer to come take care of your <laughs> home for you or an exterminator. Both will do. The exterminators probably bring coffins or something. <laughs> they just set up a tent, they put a coffin in the middle of it, and they walk away. Oh, yeah. But if you're really going for the premium service, you get a wheezing. Oh, yeah. You get a wheezing exterminator. Uh, oh, one more note about Weedle, though. Oh, go for it. Only Pokemon that doesn't learn any normal moves, like any normal type moves. Interesting. So yeah. all poison, all bug types, Yeah, huh? it gets poison sting, spring shot, and then from Gen 4 on, bug bite. But other than that, nothing. So nothing that is of the normal type, and it's the only one that has that. So if you're really looking for the Pokemon that was strong against Sabrina's gym, Weedle is the one to go with, except for that it's poison, a poison type. type. So it's not going to be strong. So <laughs> never mind. Yeah. So if you guys are wondering, we powered through that Sabrina gym and achieved. You kids have it easy these days. Again, <laughs> I'm going to say that. All right. Yeah, with your fancy good bug moves now. All right, so getting mm. to Pidgey, I think I mentioned mm. in the first episode how much I, as a kid, wanted to have a pigeon jump on mm. my shoulder that I could call a friend <laughs> mm. because I was lonely as a child. Yeah. Pidgeys are cute. Uh, interestingly, we see an example of like the Pokemon, what they eat, and namely what they eat is each other. Apparently, Ekans prey on Pidgey. Ekanses? Is it a self-plural or what is it? Ekanai. Ekan... <laughs> oh, but it ends in an S, so Ekansai? We'll get back to you. Uh, yeah, so Ekanses... Mm -hmm. Eat Pidgeys. I feel like the plural has to be Ekans <laughs> to encourage the hissing sound. It's a snake <laughs> after all. Are God, you suggesting I... it's snake spelled backwards? 
I was shamefully old when I finally noticed that Ekans is snake spelled backwards. Um, and also that Arbok is Cobra spelled backwards. I was about to say, I hope you got that one at the same yep, time. Yep, yep, yep. It was a, it was a one-to-one -one thing, but it I, it I definitely spent a few years in the Pokemon universe at that point. <laughs> so getting to Pidgey, we're going to another Pokemon that Ash encounters in the first episode. Although I will point out that there's a gap in Ash's little uh, Pokedex. Um, that he tries to catch a Pidgey just by throwing a Pokeball. Because he is the dumbest person. Again, the dumbest person. The Pidgey gets away. Um, but then he later uses Caterpie to catch a Pidgeotto. Because he's the dumbest person. Again, but somehow he does catch that Pidgeotto. And so he miss so he's missing Pidgey from his Pokedex. Let's talk about what a fail that is for a Pokemon. <laughs> that you are missing Pidgey from your Pokedex. Uh, um, I mean, there was a time... Well... I think it could happen, though. Like, imagine you're in Breeding Forest in the games, you come across a Pidgeotto first, and you wind up catching that. It's I don't like, think you encountered Pidgeotto in the games in the wild. I know in Gold and Silver. I don't remember in Red and Blue. Not in Red and Blue. Okay. In Gold and Silver, oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Gold and, Gold and Silver is where, like, Blue and Red were much more Spartan about having to level up to get certain evo to certain evolutions. Pidgey, you absolutely had to level up to Pidgeotto. Mm. You did not find Pidgeotto. And I think Pidgeot was a trade evolution. Oh, uh, no. Pidgeot grew at level 30-something. Uh, level 36. Well, the growth of the Pidgey family is an interesting one to me because of the size progression. So we touched on the fact that Caterpie is a one-foot long bug, as is Weedle. Mm. Their cocoon forms naturally bigger because they're wrapping themselves in that larval goo um in the strongest steel and also can easily shatter yes goo. yeah somehow hard but also soft mm. um, you know schrodinger's cocoon <laughs> um two feet long big cocoon big yeah. honking cocoon which is pretty to scale with what we see in the tv show like ash holds metapod like a baby um but pidgey on the other hand i feel like pidgey pidgeotto and pidgeot that's where we start to see weird Again, like we mentioned with Charizard, this, this is where we start to see a weirdness of scale with what was depicted in the TV show, but also what you might pick up on based on the sprites in the video games, which is that Pidgey is about the size of a pigeon. Um, that's pretty much a given. Yeah. Um, Pidgeotto is the size of about a bald eagle. No, Pidgeotto is a little bit bigger, but, uh, but then you get to Pidgeot, who's four feet tall. Yeah, and then when it mega evolves, it's fucking seven feet three. Yeah, that is... So I did a little bit of research here to find these comparisons. So Pidgey is about the size of a honkin' pigeon. It's a little bit bigger than your average city pigeon, but it's still pigeon size. Shaquille O'Neal is only 7'1". There you go. So Pidgeot would stand next to Shaquille O'Neal who, let's face it, most of you and most of us and Darling and I sta sitting here, standing here as average men, would be eye-to-eye -eye with Shaquille O'Neal's navel. Pretty right? much. Um, yeah, and so, real-world comparisons. Um, the largest bird of flight on record is no longer on Earth. It's been found in fossil records. It's called Argentavis magnificens. This thing is about the size of what Pidgeot is reported to be in the Pokedex. And I really want you guys to look this up. We'll put a link to the Wikipedia page on the show notes or whatever we can do in the show bio. But yeah. 
But um, this is a honkin' bird. The scientist who discovered it stands next to it, and the wingspan is enormous. Next to the fossil, or next next to, to uh, yeah, a recreational oh, okay. fossil. Got so, but I mean, with the bird in the picture, the bird is stood up from its tail feathers on the ground to its beak pointed upward, and the scientist's head is barely at the bird's belly, like the bird's breast, its neck, and beak are all above his head <laughs> and you know just to give you that scale so that's a pidgeot yeah and you know we're talking about a pidgeotto that's about the size of a bald eagle these are this, these are drastic changes um in terms of size but again unlike some of the more drastic changes we discussed in the last episode it's all size yeah it's all, size all three based. of the pokemon families we're featuring this week are roughly the same size i'd say well not size sorry they look similar you can see the through line of evolution they don't suddenly grow cannons from their shell or anything like that yeah they don't grow wings out of nowhere except for you know inside cocoon which we have real world evidence of yeah we don't have any weird drastic evolutions to discuss this week which is kind of a relief because that's going to be a whole other discussion with some of the upcoming mm -hmm. pokemon even in gen one and especially later on yeah but, you know, these aren't drastic changes. These are actually fairly real-world, understandable changes. Mm. Granted, they happen with that flash of light, <laughs> but a small bird growing into a bigger bird, growing into an even bigger bird, even if that bigger bird is taller than Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> is a logical progression. Yeah. Um, well, and how tall did you say the uh, the Mega Evolution was again? Oh, well, the Mega Evolution is the one that's taller than Shaq. Yeah, there we go. So Yeah, because the... Full, the normal size Pidgeot is 4'11", and then when it mega evolves, it turns to 7'3", which is one foot taller than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to give even more context of height here. Yeah. And he was a basketball player, for those of you that don't know. But, <laughs> but they know who Shaq is? Well, I mean, Shaq is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, Shaq sells milk. <laughs> and Burger King. <laughs> um, uh. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about the high school boyfriends, as I call them, mm -hmm. is that middle school, for you, apparently, because some of us were more advanced, they have, like, after you've been introduced to these weird monsters where it's like, here's a frog with a bulb on its back, here's a lizard that turns into a dragon, here's a turtle that gets cannons, you're then like, eh, here's some bugs and some birds, you'll figure it out, maybe a rat. Yeah, and I was just about to say, the other, in those first two sections where you're encountering these three families of Pokemon, the other Pokemon that you're encountering is Rat. Yeah. Um, and then another couple birds. Like, yeah. It's just, it's weird that they go from, like, high fan, well, not high fantasy, but, you know, kind of fantastic beasts to, like, you've probably seen these in your backyard. And then it evolves and goes from there, and that's, uh... Mm. And I mean, that's the design note that we kind of touched on in the first episode, is that familiarity is how you create immersion. And that's true of any story. That's why so many successful fantasy stories of any ilk, or even sci-fi stories, start with the familiar. They start with a person living an ordinary life mm. that gets introduced and pulled through the doorway to the unordinary. However brief that introduction is. You know, you talk about one of the greatest fantasy series of all times. The uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Every single book in that series starts with even a page of just 
characters that are living in the ordinary yeah. so that we have a stepping stone that we can identify with that take us into the extraordinary. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, also, like this is a thing that's repeated throughout every generation is that we will have these, like maybe there'll be a couple generic bugs. There's always a Pidgey type. There's always a rat Tata type. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always these ones that are like mostly familiar very basic but they're there at the start of your journey before they really throw out the weird concepts yeah and the um what's the pre what's the uh, pre-evolutionary stage of the hound doom i'm blanking on it right now hound uh, hound hour hound hour that again a familiar figure that yeah. is eventually the earliest type that you find in route one of of your first route section, you uh, eventually found. I think the Hound Hour you don't you find find until you get to Kanto in Gold and Silver. There is a game where it's in that first section outside of. The, oh, okay, uh, it might be one of the more recent ones. Yeah, think about it. but yeah, like but again, dog. Yeah, it fits it's still. It fits. It the still fits that pattern. Um, so new section for this episode that we discussed to double back unless you have a couple other design notes oh, for um, no i just want to talk a bit about like pidgeotto and pidgeot because they are both birdies with the good hair oh yeah my god that hair was just the coolest thing and it just gets cooler and cooler like with mm. pidgey it's, it's a little cute little like it's a thing. pigeon it's like it's a, a fancy pigeon, pigeon. It's, it's like a, a wild fancy pigeon yeah and then with pidgeotto it's already pretty cool it's got a little swoop little wave mm. Um, but then with Pidgeot, it's just, he's too hot for you. And then it mega evolves. It's like, yeah, I'm fucking Fabio. And it gets like, and it gets that cooler coloration too, yeah. which is true of every mega like evolution. Like the little blue still. on the tips of the wings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Pidgeotto, it eats Magikarp and Execute. I'm a little bit creeped out by that for some reason. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> I don't know why it didn't bother me to know that like the other evolution, like that Pidgey Ekans eat pigeon yeah. Pidgeys. Yeah. But I don't know why Pidgeotto eating Execute because, all right, this is going to be, let's put a pin in this conversation <laughs> about Execute. If you eat a single egg out of the Execute, does that kill it? Or does it like kind of have hive mind uh, where like it can function yeah. without one of its eggs? Well, the whole Execute line is a mess. And I think they have something about how if a head falls off an Executor, it just joins Executes and becomes an Execute. Which, oh. yeah, I know, it's... That's so creepy to me. <laughs> yeah, there are. I'm not one of those people. I like Gen One. I think Gen One is important, and there are some really classic monsters in there. But there are people who overestimate them as like these are the only good ones. Because it's like no, there's no. Execute and Jinx and Duck and with Jinx. Stick and Duck with Stick. Duck with Stick is a classic. Duck with Stick is Duck with Stick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, like the execute. Let's let's put a pin in that one. But I've got so many weird questions about execute. Oh, yeah. that when we'll we get, get there, to. we will get there. The thing about the Magikarp, they even put that in the phone game Magikarp Jump, where every so often, if you're not careful, a Pidgeotto or Pidgeot will just swoop down and eat your Magikarp, and your Magikarp retires, quote unquote. Uh, Which is a very polite way of saying your Magikarp is dead. Your Magikarp is Pidgeot food. Uh, also, funnily enough, I found out that this is from Bulbapedia. Its name may be a combination of the corruption of Pigeon and Diciato, which is Italian for 18, the level at which Pidgey evolves into Pidgeotto. And also, its name may refer to Otto Lilenthal, a pioneer of unpowered heavier-than-air flight. 
He was a German who helped change opinions on flying machines and then died from a broken neck when his glider broke, which puts him on my favorite Wikipedia page, list of inventors killed by their own inventions. <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to note is that the mega evolutions for Beedrill and Pidgeot were added in Omega, Ruby, and Alpha Sapphire, the remakes that they did after X and Y. And I really appreciated that they gave these two, weirdly not Butterfree, uh, Mega Evolutions. It's kind of like, hey, you've been with the company for a long time. We're going to give you a raise and a promotion. Like, it's when one of your favorite character actors gets an Oscar nomination. And it's kind of like, you know, I, God, the character actor comparison is so perfect because Beedrill, as we said, is just playing the heel so well hmm. in the two bug mm -hmm. families. Butterfree, you're doing your job. You're performing to expectations of anything. Butterfree, you're underperforming because you're supposed to be one of the favorites with how cute we made you, and people just like you. Yeah. But Beedrill, you're here. You're toughing it out. You're all pointy and angry, and people like you. As Despite... someone with a childhood fear of bees and a still fear of needles, Beedrill is just terrifying. Yeah. Especially so... the Mega Evolution. God, like, it gets... Like, it already has three stingers, and then its legs turn into bigger stingers. <laughs> and, which is just like an unfunctional level of stingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how can we murder someone? Oh, I know. Let's give them the mega beedrill. Well, I just, want to I just want to circle back. I brought up the information on what size a Magikarp is, because you mentioning that Pidgeotto pick up Magikarp. Yeah. So, you know, remember that Pidgeotto is about the size of a bald eagle. This scans, actually. Um, so a Magikarp is about three feet long. Like, it's about three feet. Uh, Bulbapedia tells me it's 22 pounds, which, you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen videos which Michael Darling remembers me enjoying greatly of bald eagles being able to lift goats. <laughs> yes. Off the ground. Yes. Um, and so... An eagle-sized bird being able to lift a 22-pound fish out of the water is not is not impossible. So that's actually that actually scans in terms of the scaling. Um, I think the other thing is is that again, like we're we're getting ahead of this episode. Well, but Magikarp's size is to scale with what we see depicted in the show. Yes. In terms of it being a handful for Ash. Yeah. Um, it when they have that dream of the two of them eating of Brock and Ash eating. A magic harp it's on a big platter yeah that's true all right so new section for this episode we have the section called mon mods which is michael darling and i are going to challenge each other to come up with one change to any of the pokemon or the family of pokemon one change hmm. whatever it might be that we would affect whether it's design typing abilities whatever that we think would improve the pokemon and so, huh. hindsight for me, based on our discussion, you've heard us bring this up already, is I would take the, you know, poison type off of the, uh, off of one of these bugs, just so that, or the flying type, just so that Gen 1 wasn't such an infuriating mess. I mean, it's retroactively been fixed, so I don't know if that's a, I feel like I might be wasting my choice there, but... Well, you're playing Let's Go now, so you'll find out when you get to Sabrina. So there we go. Um, yeah, I did, uh... Update on the personal end, I picked up a copy of Pokemon Let's Go Eevee to get back into this, uh, but we'll I'll update on that in future episodes. Yeah. Where are you right now in that? Um, still playing Red Dead Redemption 2. That's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Professor Oak hasn't even asked you if you're a boy or a girl Professor yet. Professor Oak has not asked me to tell him what his grandson's name is. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so you take the poison typing off of Beedrill or... Yeah, I mean, I know it's. Yeah. I mean, I know it's just so inherent in the Pokemon, but I feel like you know, just leave it as a bug type and just give us like a little bit of relief early on with mm. like, you know, I, and I, and this may be like a bit of a typing thing, but I feel like in terms of introducing the player, easing the player into the world, that was a misstep, mm-hmm. and that's not just from the fact that it makes Sabrina harder, but I feel like hey, the first few Pokemon you encounter for at least until like at least the second gym should be single type let's get the hang of single type versus single types or and then ease the player into the fact that hey you can get these dual types now i'd make an exception in two cases one being just like the flying types that are normal slash flying like that's fair enough that's logical enough and also bulbasaur is already a dual type bulbasaur is grass and poison so which is weird to me that like and you heard it on the first episode where i was surprised to be reminded of that Mm -hmm. like you know and it's it's a weird exception that has not occurred since and it makes me think that in later editions they kind of learn that mistake i think later on yeah i think rowlet in gen 7 i think we mentioned this last time rowlet is the first one that had a second typing since bulbasaur yeah and that is 15 years later 20 there you go yeah so even even better Um, yeah you know and i I just think that in terms of a design perspective you know speaking to design of video games and easing a player into a world and into the nuances of something like you know i always go back to the best video game design of introducing a player to mechanics is super mario brothers oh yeah the first level one one of the original super mario brothers from 1985 you're talking about just a simple introduction to left to right planar Mm. movement here is a platform that you can jump onto the two basics yeah there's an enemy coming at you that like hey the first time you turned on that game you probably let that little goomba hit you (laughs) your mario died you got another life and you learned okay let me jump instead of letting that guy hit me um and and then you hit the block and there's this other mushroom that comes out and so you jump on that but it turns you into something bigger. Bingo. Yeah. And so you're learning all these things through organic experience. And I just feel like that is just the essence of how you ease a player into a game experience. My favorite thing about 1-1, just to... Again, no, this is our it. third Nintendo franchise we brought up tonight, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, there's that portion about midway through where there's a tower of... Like, a step. Like, a, you know, a stairs of bricks, let's call it. And so you go up there, there's a little pit in between that has floor, and then you go down the other stairs. And then immediately after, there's the same deal, but the pit is open. So they've already trained you for that. Like, it's brilliant design. And it's just so innate that you can recognize a simple visual difference. Um, And I just think that in terms of Pokemon easing you into this whole concept of elemental, like, you know, battles and advantages... I feel like for, you know, we're talking about by the time you hit the end of Viridian Forest, Caterpie, Weedle, the three starters of which you will only handle one. Yeah. So you have one starter that you are handling. You have your Pidgey, you have your Spearow, and you have your Caterpie, Weedle, and Pikachu. Those are, I think, the seven Pokemon. And you might encounter an Abra. I think Abra can appear in Viridian Forest, too, if I'm not mistaken. I don't recall that, but, like, Rattata... 
Rattata. And I think Spearow might be that early. Yeah, also. yeah. So we're talking about seven or eight Pokemon yeah. that you're experiencing. And that's a pretty, that's a good number. That's a good number. You know, there's a seven dwarfs rule for like introducing mm. people to characters and getting people eased into a story and things like that. Yeah. Um, Six major Avengers, seven major Justice League members. Yeah. Okay. And so by the end of Viridian Forest, you have tackled one gym, Rock. So you understand a very basic type advantage. Well, at the of... end of Brilliant Forest. That's yeah. Where, yeah. yeah. When so, you get to Pewter City and Brock. Oh, that's right. Because the first city you go to, Viridian City, doesn't the gym leader isn't there. That's Giovanni. Mm-hmm. So you continue. He's past... off being a terrorist. He's off being a terrorist. Although, fan theory. Our fan theory episode is... Uh, <laughs> let's put a pin in that for our fan mm-hmm. theory episode. Because I am a, I am a fan of the, uh, of the Giovanni is actually a hero story oh i've never heard that one i've heard that he's ash's dad no i've i've heard that mr mime is ash's dad i've heard another theory about ash's dad um (laughs) we'll come back to that (laughs) previews folks we're gonna have some debates about our favorite pokemon (laughs) fan theories um but that being said uh you know you by the time you get to pewter city and you know the rock gym you're experiencing your first type advantage with Mm. a very firm uh, Pokemon type advantage that has high defense that you need the type advantage for to some extent. And now that I think about it, you don't really have an advantage unless you get like Bulbasaur or Squirtle. Yeah, it sucked like, playing Charmander. In yellow, <laughs> in yellow, they at least throw in some Mankeys early on so you could have a fighting type that could be of those rocks because like they're part ground, they're going to be useless against your Pikachu. Mm-hmm. It really should be yellow version special Mankey edition. Yeah, this is what I'm saying about how masochistic I was to pick <laughs> yeah. Charmander and stick with Charmander in Pokemon Blue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so you've encountered seven Pokemon. You're learning a basic type advantage of trying to beat Rock. You know, it just seems to me that for at least the next two gyms or so, it seems weird that they would throw in that dual type as something else mm. you have to consider when you're trying to learn. Because even in Gen 1, there were 12 different Pokemon types against 12 types that you had to keep track of the advantages maybe yeah i think but but it was something it was oh it was more than 10 which is what i'm saying so you still had 10 different matchups that you had to worry about you know you still had to keep track of these advantages across all of them and then they expanded it further you know it seems to me like it was just a, a questionable design decision to make some of them dual type um but that being said so mon mods your final call I don't know how I'd do it exactly, but I would definitely want to give Butterfree a Mega Evolution, just because, like, Beedrill got one, Pidgeot got one. It seems weird that Butterfree, like, the other one of the first... We're now through 18 monsters, Mm -hmm. so, like, it's the only one of those first six families that doesn't get a Mega Evolution, and that's weird to me. Well, Butterfree, we're sorry. (laughs) Um, So now, moving on to It's a Mons World... What would these Pokemon be doing in the real world? And I feel like this is going to be a fairly short uh, section this week because, I mean, real world equivalencies abound. Um, yeah. Unless we can come up with a. Well, I have my thoughts, but darling, what do you think? Well, I mean, beedrolls are wasps, not bees. So mm-hmm. it's not like they're going to be making honey or anything. They're just making pain. They yeah. exist for pain. Yeah, and I they don't have think. They have sharp needles for pain. And I mean, you know, real world, it's it's way too easy to go to the whole, like, oh, they'd be used in war as fighters thing. But I mean, you know, I'm, and so, I'm, so let's just skip that. I'm oh. putting, I'm putting a, I'm putting a uh, moratorium on the future war criminals discussion 
for this Pokemon. week. For this week, at least. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think... That does remind me, one of my favorite things in the first Super Smash Brothers was the Pokeball item, which has been in all of them. Mm-hmm. But you would throw it, and every so often you get a Beedrill, and there would just be one Beedrill that shows up, flies about, and then suddenly a whole swarm of them comes and hits everyone except for you, and it's the funniest thing. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's 100% like harkening back to the show. Yeah. So I just think that these Pokemon today would just be in the wild. You know, yeah. I think like we have bald eagles in the wild that we let fly around. We have, you know, if we had those terrifying, um, you know, Argentavis Magnificans mm-hmm. still existing, they would just be flying around. We, you know, we have falconeers and stuff like that. We don't use birds for yeah. anything in the real world. We don't, you know, you, you talk about like using them as messengers, like we have email. Well, I think. <laughs> There is reference to Pidgey Mail at some point. I remember if it's in the games or the anime or something. Which is so pointless because they have email in the series. <laughs> Ash even uses video phone to call his mom hey, in the first episode. Hey, we still have episode. the postal service, so... Again, this I feel like this further lends credence to the theory that Ash is in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> the whole Pokemon universe is his mention. In a universe where he knows that video phone calls and FaceTime is a thing, he sees Pidgey mail delivery as a viable business. I'm sorry, not even telegrams still exist, my friend. (laughs) We're all in the dream of Ash Ketchum. Okay. So, well, I do have one possible use for Pidgeys, and that brings us to Mon Appetit. So, when Pokemon Go started up, the first time I encountered a Pidgey was literally outside McDonald's, which made me realize, oh, so that's what McNuggets are made out of. So, I'm eating Pidgey, and I'm eating Caterpie, because, you know, the whole Weedle line is poison. That's a good point. See, I was thinking about this episode, and with this special challenge that we had for this episode, because it was going to be so obvious that both of us are going to choose Pidgey. Yeah. Um, Because, again, Pidgeotto being the size of a bald eagle, I don't see a bald eagle as being a very tasty bird to eat. Give me some Kanto fried Pidgey. Give me some, uh, give me some Pidgeotto nuggets. You know, um, no, I, uh, you know, I'm thinking. God, a Weedle's got to be like the blowfish of bugs to try to like, but it's a bug, so you can't like, you know, you can't like cut that thing upright. It's just poison. Again, um, a full six of the Pokemon in the first generation are poison type, so we're gonna be coming up with this blowfish analogy a lot, even before yeah. we get to Quill lava. Well, no, Quillfish in Generation Two. Yeah, I, um, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to go with, like, chocolate-covered Caterpie for dessert after my little Pidgey Ooh. Nuggets. Um, that's that's the... a one-foot-long dessert you're having. I'm thinking that's, like, cut up. <laughs> <laughs> like one of those one-foot gummy bears? Yeah, basically. It's like that gigantic gummy bear that yeah. I bought. Jesus. Uh. I've always wanted to have a dinner party where I serve that as the dessert. Just bring out this gummy bear on a platter. And you're cutting it with a knife. Oh, yeah, like one of those Roman Rockwell paintings. Yeah, I am. Um, Chafing any, dish and everything. Just like lift it up and there's a gummy bear. If any of our listeners want to have us do one of these future podcasts while eating a foot long gummy bear and comparing it to a Caterpie, please, please let us know. And uh, I'd like to add, why do you hate us if you're having us do that? <laughs> so long as it isn't a Haribo gummy bear, I think we'll be fine. Because that much Haribo gummy bear is not good for the the digestive system. I don't think any of that much gummy bear, like even if it's Primo made from like, you know, whatever is healthy gummy bear, 
Well, we're getting onto a completely different universe of meme, but um, just so you know, there is the Haribo gummy bear line in particular uses a particular kind of sugar replacement that um, that in that if you eat too much of it will cause diarrhea. So. Hmm. So um so we're gonna so we're gonna talk about the next episode episode three we're gonna and move that's how baby mucks are born. <laughs> Good God! How about the baby Alolan mucks? <laughs> oh my God! Ah, uh, anyhow. So wait. So yeah. So we're both eating Caterpie and Pidgey, just in different ways, probably. Yep. Okay. Pretty much. All right. Because I think we both want to avoid the risk of that poison. Yeah. And like aside from the poison fish analogy that I brought up that there probably is a way to prepare Weedle edibly. I don't know if the trouble's worth it with a bug. You know, I love sushi, um, but I don't think that bug is going to be worth it. So, so imagine people at a state fair with deep fried Caterpie on a stick. Just like, like an everlasting sucker or something like that, but a Caterpie. So next time we'll be doing the Rabbitaf family, such as it is. Which the... will feature our first Alolan forms. Exactly. And some interesting typing within that as well. The Spiro family, and we'll get a little snaky with the Ekans family. <laughs> We're going to cover the Ekans. The Ekans. Okay. We're gonna. We're, we promise we won't do that bit too much in the next episode. But until next time, uh, I'm Inato Blue. I'm Michael Darling. Thanks for joining us on Monnet. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly, sugar baby. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly, sugar baby. Such a sexy, sexy, pretty little thing. This April bitch, you got me sprung with your tongue ring. And I ain't gonna lie, cause your loving gets me high. So to keep you by my side, there's nothing that I won't try. Butterflies in her eyes and her looks to kill. Time is passing, I'm asking, could this be real? Cause I can't sleep, I can't hold still. The only thing I really know is she got sex appeal. I can feel too much is never enough. You always there to lift me up when these times get rough. I was lost, now I'm found. Ever since you've been around, you're the woman that I want, so you're putting it down. Come, my lady, come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly, sugar, baby. Come, my lady, you're my pretty baby. I'll make your legs shake to me.